Well, good morning. Actually, forgot to bring the remote control up in the first hour, but it's a lot more fun when you have it this time because if people fall asleep, you can sign a little red light on them. But anyway, um, would you join with me in a word of prayer as we get started? Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to worship you this morning. We thank you for the, just the privilege that it is to come before you and to sing our praises to you, to, to open your word and to read it together. And Father, I pray that as we read your word this morning and study it, that you would change our hearts. Father, help us to, to take to heart um, what your word says to us. I pray that you would speak to us this morning and that we would listen. And Lord, uh, as we go through the section of Malachi this morning, Lord. It's, um, there's a lot of information there that's very pertinent to who we are today. And I pray that we would, Lord, that we would grow from it, that we would allow you to change us. We pray that your spirit would do a mighty work here this morning, and we thank you for, for your presence. We thank you for the joy it is of knowing you and following you. And Father, we commit this time to you and ask that you do a great work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as you look at the screen behind us, we're in the book of Malachi, and you see the kind of the hospital monitor on our picture here. And one of the things I really want to encourage the church family is that the last thing we ever want to see is that Bible Fellowship Church flatlines on a monitor like this when it comes to the vibrancy of our faith. And my prayer is that we as a church would be a church where we have the ups and downs that are showing that we are spiritually alive as a church, as we follow Jesus Christ. And as I went through and preparing for this morning in the book of Malachi, one of the things that became very obvious is that the spiritual health of a church is also very dependent upon the leadership of a church. And it was very convicting as I went through this this morning. We spent a lot of time over the last couple months, well, actually I should say the last few years, we've added a lot of staff members in the last couple of years. And our desire is to build a godly and gifted leadership team to help lead Bible Fellowship Church forward. And two weeks ago, I had the privilege of introducing to you our new director of worship, Benjamin Hardy, who's going to be here in about four weeks from today. He'll be starting his ministry with us. But I get to today to announce a new staff hire. Um, we just recently have hired a new facilities manager, a facilities director, and that is John Hunter. And uh, many of you probably know John Hunter, but John and Jane and their two girls have attended Bible Fellowship Church for quite a while. And right now, John, is um, he oversees the architectural lab at Princeton University. He's done that for quite a few years, a lot of years, actually. But before that position, um, John has a lot of experience in facilities management. And we have hired John to come on board. He starts September 20th as our facilities manager here at the church. And we're excited about this new opportunity for John coming on. He's a godly guy, someone we're thrilled to have on the team. But the reason this position has opened up is for another really good reason. Um, Randy and Ramona Welchel are on our facility staff, and they've been with us for a couple of years now. And they've been preparing to go out into the mission field to serve the Lord. And coming up in October, um, they are moving to Montana to serve the Lord with Beartooth Mountain Christian Ministries. So we, as their church, will be sending them out into the mission field. Hence, the position opens up here on our facility staff at the church. 
And on September the 20th, uh, we will actually be having a commissioning service in both morning services for Randy and Ramona as we get to send them out to serve the Lord in Montana. So to us, this is a win-win that we see Randy and Ramona going out to serve the Lord in something they've been preparing for for a long time. And God is replacing, and while bringing in, it's a little bit of a different position, but bringing us a facilities manager in somebody as talented and gifted and godly as John Hunter. So we are thrilled to see what God is doing here, and we know it's going to be a great help to the church and the ministry of the church, and it's wonderful to see us sending people out to serve Jesus Christ in different places. Wasn't it great seeing the Kentucky team up here this morning and knowing how God used them? And, um, you know, I just hope as they come back that they just build a passion within all of us for serving the Lord in other places and being faithful to Him that way. As we, um, as we look at leadership, though, one of the things that we're going to see is as we go through the book of Malachi, um, Tom preached through chapter 1 last week, and we saw in chapter 1 there were some strong rebukes in chapter 1 to the religious leaders, to the priests of Malachi's day. Well, that's going to continue this morning. And we're going to see that Malachi starts to ramp up that rebuke, and he's turning the heat onto these religious leaders in what we're going to read this morning. And one of the things we'll see is we're going to learn a lot about what a spiritual leader should look like from the book of, from the book of Malachi, especially this ch- section this morning. But we're also going to see some of the things that God does not want to see in his spiritual leaders this morning because he gives us some very negative examples of spiritual leadership that he rebukes sharply. And we'll be seeing that as we go through this this morning. Now, as a pastor, I'll tell you, I was convicted preparing for this message. When you see what God values and what he hates in those who lead his church. So as pastors and elders this morning, we should be particularly awake and listening to what Malachi is teaching us, what God is teaching us through Malachi. But you might be sitting there saying, okay, well, what about the rest of us? Does that mean we get to go to sleep? Well, the answer is no, and here's why. Because everything that we're seeing in this passage this morning is appropriate to a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to build a theological bridge. About, about 2,400 years ago that Malachi's ministry was on the earth, and today, 2,400 years later, why is it that we as disciples of Jesus Christ should pay, pay attention to this? One reason is, if you go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter introduces us to something called the priesthood of believers. Um, in it, he actually calls believers in Jesus Christ. He says, you are a royal priesthood. And he says, your job is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of now what is called a royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers, where God has gifted you with certain gifts. The Spirit of God is living inside of you, and the role that was carried out by those priests, many of those roles are being carried out today by you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And our ultimate high priest is Jesus Christ, who is right now in heaven ministering on our behalf. So that's why we can say, yeah, what applied to Malachi's priest back then applies to us today. Another reason is that we're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And a disciple, the real definition, is a learner. Um, And as a learner of Jesus Christ, we are becoming like the teacher. And that teacher is Jesus himself. And Jesus told us, when the great commandment, he said, go into all the world and what? He's talking to the disciples and make disciples. 
You see, disciples, if you're a disciple of Christ, you become automatically a disciple maker. And Malachi, as we go through this passage, what we're going to see is he's talking to us about proclaiming the word of God. He's talking to us about investing ourselves into the lives of other people, something that all disciples should be doing. So Malachi, and really God through Malachi, is speaking to you this morning. That's why you get to stay awake this morning and listen. Now, as we went through this, one of the things I was looking at, I said, wow, if if God's giving us the things that he hates in a disciple and the things that he loves in a disciple, God is giving us the framework for a job description. So I took the outline for this morning and put it a little bit into the shape of a job description. Now, a lot of job descriptions have right across the top of them a purpose statement. And if we were to take a purpose statement from Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, on what a disciple should be, here's what I wanted to propose as a purpose statement. That we are to walk with God and serve Him faithfully so you turn others away from sin. Think about that. We are to walk with God. I'm going to touch on that in a little bit. And that's actually the key part of today's passage. So that we serve Him faithfully and turn others away from sin. See, that's the sign of a healthy disciple, according to the job description that we're going to look at this morning. Now, as I took, um, Malachi uses the word admonitions. He said, I give this commandment to you. As I looked at all the things that Malachi brought up in these nine verses, I took all those admonitions and I lumped them together. And I said, you know what, there's really three main categories here. So if you have a job description, I gave you the purpose statement. The next thing that we're going to do is we're going to take a look at three qualifications of a faithful disciple for Jesus Christ. And before we do that, I want to read through all of Malachi, just chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 together, so we get a flow for how the whole passage goes. So if you, um, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, just raise your hand. I am going to put the first part of the verses up on the screen, but after that, I'm going to just have you rely on your Bibles rather than flipping back and forth. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers will get one to you. If you want help in finding the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. So if you get into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the book right before the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to go to Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And now this commandment is for you, O priest. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned back many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. 
But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people. Just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. Well, we see here that God is raising the level of his rebuke upon these priests and religious leaders and something that we can all learn from. The first qualification of a faithful disciple that I want to give you that we're going to take a look at this morning is this. A disciple loves God above all else. Now, we as, as believers in Jesus Christ, as we look upon Christ and our relationship with him grows, see, we then start to grow spiritually. It's to mark a spiritual maturity. And out of our growth through loving Christ and loving and the loving God, what starts to happen is the ministry starts to flow out of us. So the reason I'm going to give you that this particular um, qualification, I would say out of the three I give you this morning is the most important. Because when this one is right, and when we're loving God above all else, the other things, our service and our ministry, start to flow out of us. But apart from loving God above all else, the other things become meaningless because we're doing them in the flesh rather than through the Spirit of God. Take a look at verse 2. Let's jump back there for a moment. Verse 2 says, If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. Now, underneath this qualification of loving God above all else, I want to give you a few admonitions to help us do that. The first one is this is that spiritual leaders consistently listen to God. See, verse 2, he says, if you do not listen, God's laying it right out there. Spiritual leaders listen to the voice of God. It's kind of a shame when you think about Christian leadership today, and I would say Christians in general. So many leaders and so many followers of Christ spend so little time listening to God. Think about the prayer lives of so many people. We spend, we spend so very little time in the Word of God. We spend so very little time in prayer, and I'm including Christian leaders and pastors in this as well, that we start to lose that expectation that prayer really changes things. I'll share a quick story. As, um, as I was preparing, I was reading something that um, I heard a story back in 2011, just four years ago, the International Justice Mission. And you know what? I was afraid. I kept when I was thinking through this in my head, getting ready for this morning. I kept saying the Justice League, and that's Superman and Wonder Woman. So this is not that group. This is the International Justice Mission. They gathered together for a weekend of prayer back in 2011. And it's an organization that has staff workers all around the world, and their goal, what their purpose is as a mission agency, is to free slaves from bonded slavery and sexual exploitation around the world. So they have a mission to just free slaves from all over the world, whether it be bonded labor or sex slaves. And so all of their staff workers from all around the world gathered together for a weekend of prayer. And one of the nights in particular, they said, it was such a fervent prayer that they were just on their knees asking God to just completely do away with bonded slavery around the world. Well, after this um, conference ended, about three weeks later, um, one of the people who attended was a gentleman from a very just remote village of, in India 
I'm glad he's not here this morning because I'm probably going to get his name totally wrong. But he just went, it was, his name was S. Kandaswamy. Now, he was in his village and he had known that there was this brick kiln factory that made bricks in his, right in his village. And he knew for years and years and years that they were holding slaves in that kiln factory who were making the bricks. And he got back from that prayer gathering and he just fell led by the Spirit that he had to do something about it. For years before this, he never, ever felt that, just that burning desire that he knew God was calling him to do something. So what he did was he went and talked to the local police and they agreed to cooperate. He was just a civilian. He actually gathered the people together, the police included, to make a raid on this brick factory. And when they went in, they actually were able to free 532 people from slavery that were in that factory. Not only did they free them, they went to the local high school and opened it up as a shelter and brought in free medical care because they were just in tremendous medical needs from those slaves that they had freed from that factory. And when he was interviewed, he made the comment, he said, you know, until I went to that weekend of prayer, I never expected God to use me to do something. But he said, I came back with such a passion and such a feeling that God was calling me to do something about it, that he gave me to do the strength to do something I never could have done on my own. Now, I want to just challenge all of us. Prayer changes things. And prayer changes us. With what kind of a fervency and what kind of a level are you praying to God? You see, when we have that kind of prayer life, and now all of a sudden it puts us in a place where we can listen to God when he speaks to us. And this one example, he did a great work. Now, not only should we be consistently listening to God if we want to love God above all else, but in verse 2, there's one other admonition I'd like to give you. And that is that we need to have a heart for God's glory. Go back to verse 2 for a minute. God says, if you do not listen, then he says, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name. See, in chapter 1, chapter 1 basically told us a number of times that the priests were despising the name of God. Can you imagine that, religious leaders? Can you picture if we as pastors, it was said of us that we despise the name of God? It's a pretty low place for spiritual leaders to go. Now, he's showing us here in verse 2 that if you give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, if you don't, then I will send curses upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have already done that because you are not taking it to heart. See, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to have a heart for God's glory. I want to give you, that is to me, the essence of leadership success. It's the essence of success for you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the opposite of that, not having a heart for God's glory, is the essence of leadership failure or failure as a disciple in Jesus Christ. Think about when people are out for their own glory rather than the glory of God. See, in churches, pastors and spiritual leaders in churches start to take advantage of people for their own good. Rather than wanting the best for the people because of what God wants for them, the pastor or the leader is seeking his own glory and starts to manipulate people for his own good rather than for God. We also see that spiritual leaders, if they're out for their own glory rather than God's own glory, they care a lot more about what people think of them than what God thinks of them. And when you start trying to please people 
you start to compromise. You no longer will speak the truth because you don't want someone to not like you. You no longer are willing to confront sin because you don't want someone not to like you. And you start to do your ministry in such a way that you're more concerned about what the people think than what about God thinks. And that's a terrible pathway for people to go. I think the ultimate one is when we are out for our own glory and we start to compromise morally. And it happens way too often in churches. I, was, um, I wanted to look up for an example. I chose not to use it this morning. But a couple months ago, there was a prominent pastor down in Miami who fell into sexual sin and lost his ministry. And I couldn't remember, actually I couldn't remember how to spell his name. So I Googled, and I just was looking up that area of, you know, pat, fallen pat, moral pastors in Florida. And sadly, on Google, pages came up on Google of men, spiritual leaders, and women, but spiritual leaders within the church who have fallen into sexual sin. I didn't even realize it, but about a month ago, a prominent megachurch pastor down in Florida, who I didn't even know this had happened to, lost his ministry because of sin. You see, when we start to seek our own glory rather than the glory of God, we start to put a stain on the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to just include all of us out there. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all the people in your sphere of influence, I hope they know that you are a believer in Jesus Christ because you're sharing the good news with them. But do you know what happens when you fall into sin? Now, all of a sudden, not only are you impacting your own name, but you're putting a stain on the name of Jesus Christ. And you might have invited them to Bible Fellowship Church. They might know that you're part of our church family. And you're putting a stain on the name of this church as well. So I want to encourage us. We need to seek the glory of God before we seek our own glory, because then we start to fall into some very dangerous things. Now, as we move on, I'm not going to give you any um, admonitions from verses 3 and 4, but I need to cover these for a moment, especially verse 3. Take a look at that. Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, did he just threaten to do what I think he did? And you're right, he did. You can't sugarcoat this one. I read this passage in a number of different translations, and some of them use the word excrement, some of them use the word refuse, some of them were some old English words that I didn't even know what the word meant. And um, bottom line is, and yes, Pastor Bob is going to use the P word, he said, I am going to rub poop in your faces. Now, what would bring Malachi or God to that level to say that. Obviously, he was trying to get their attention. God was just tired. He was despising what these religious leaders were doing. And in saying this, what he was saying was, you are not even worthy of the priesthood any longer. You're disqualified to serve as a priest because of the level of your sin. And what would happen is, in the Old Testament, when they would sacrifice an animal... They would take out the inner parts. They would take out the stomach. They would take out the intestine. They would take out the bowels. And someone had to carry all that outside of the camp where they would burn them in a fire outside of the camp. It couldn't be burned inside the camp of Israel. So whoever took that out was now unclean and had to go through a ritual purification. 
The priests, on the other hand, were the ones offering the sacrifices of the animals. They clearly, in Malachi's day, were thinking that they were above this. And God was saying, not only are you not above the people or above this, but you are worse than any of them. It's as if that refuse was wiped on your faces and you yourself are only worthy of being carried outside the camp and burned. That is how I view you. In my eyes, you are no longer worthy of serving me as a religious leader. And so we see that God very seriously was taking, was taking the offenses and the sins of these religious leaders very seriously. And I want to pass that on to us today. As disciples in Jesus Christ, God takes your sin very seriously. And God wants you to walk in a way worthy of following him. So I mentioned our major qualification was like it was a disciple loves God above all else. And we see here that we need to take that with a very serious approach. The next admonition under that point that I'd like to say is that we need as, as disciples to have a reverence for and an awe of God. Look at verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him. And he's talking, by the way, he's talking about Levi here. Because in verse 4 he said he gave a covenant with Levi. And in verse 5, my covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Obviously he's holding up. Who is this Levi? Okay, he's holding him up. And I need to give you a little background on this. Because... Aaron, Moses' brother, was the first Levitical priest in the Bible. And God said that we're, the priesthood is going to run through the tribe of Levi. So Levi was one of the sons of Jacob, one of the tribes of Israel. And God said that the tribe of Levi is the tribe from which all of the, the line of priests are going to come. And Moses' brother Aaron was from a descendant from the tribe of Levi. He was the first priest that God had put in the Levitical priesthood, and Aaron had a son, Eliezer, and he had a son, Phineas. Now, when God is here talking about Levi, what he's talking about is he's using that as a name to talk about those, faith, those priests who were faithful and loyal to him of the tribe of Levi. Now, there was an example, and I just mentioned that we should have a reverence for and an awe of God. Phineas gives us a great example in Numbers chapter 25. To go back to I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Numbers chapter 25, the nation of Israel was caught up in major sin. And God said the phrase he used was they were playing the harlot with the Moabites. Now the Moabites were an ungodly nation who worshipped pagan gods, and the nation of Israel was now worshipping, some of them, were worshipping the gods of the Moabites. And the men were having sexual relationships with the women of Moab. And God just saw this, he despised it, and what he did was he sent a plague onto the Israelites, and they were dying. So in this Numbers chapter 25, the nation of Israel was gathered together, Moses was there, Aaron was there, and then Eliezer was there, and Phinehas, so three generations, grandfather, son, and, you know, and then his son. And what they all gathered, and they're weeping because of the plague that God brought on them, because of the sins of the nation. And they were calling the nation to repent. They were crying before God. They were praying before God. And while the nation was doing this, an Israelite man comes walking through the camp with a Moabite woman, and he just walks in and takes her into his tent. And Phineas, the, you know, the grandson of Aaron, 
grabs a spear and runs into the tent and drives the spear right through the man and the woman. And the moment he did that, the plague stopped. And you know what? That sounds really harsh to us. But you see, God really cares about sin. And what was happening was the name of God was being dragged down by the actions of the nation. And then it was epitomizing the actions of that one man. And Phineas took it upon himself to defend the name of God. Now, you might be asking, well, what application should we draw from that? Well, please, 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 don't go getting a spear and going out and spearing any adulterers or fornicators. That is not what God wants you to do. By the way, that would be a really, really bad thing to do. Jesus spent his whole ministry on the earth, and he didn't spear anyone, so use Jesus as your example. But what I would want to tell you to do is that God wants us to take bold steps to honor his name. Now, what could that look like today? Well, what it could look like, and I'll just tell you this and just challenge you, learn to love the things that God loves and learn to hate the things that God hates. Now, for you, God, God loves people, right? He, Christ went to the cross and he died for all, for all of mankind. So in God's love for people, maybe for you, it looks like going to a crisis pregnancy center and serving there and just ministering to people. Maybe it means going out to a local hospice facility and ministering to people where they really need love and they need something, especially that spiritual, they need God's word. And it could be so many different ways. This morning you heard the announcement that our children's ministries needs children's workers. You know what? If we love people, what a better opportunity is it than to invest into the lives of our children? So coming up this fall, so, so many times I know what it's like to sit on your side of things and sit in the chairs and you hear the announcement and you're like, oh, you know, I got this going on, I'm busy, I got this going on. Somebody else will do it. Let me challenge you, please, to invest into the lives of the young generation. That's God would love to see you do that. And our church has a need. We need some teachers. We need some leaders. So it's a great opportunity. Don't assume somebody else is going to do it. So if you want to honor and have an offer the name of God, love the things that God loves and learn to hate the things that God hates. Now the last um, admonition I want to give you under the category, the, the um, qualification of loving God above all else is found in verse 6. And that is that a disciple walks with God. Listen to verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. We just went through the book of Genesis, and there was two men in the book of Genesis that it says he walked with God. One was Enoch, and one was Noah. And can you imagine to have on your tombstone one day put up the words, He walked with God. Isn't that cool? And I remember when I'm preaching through in Genesis, I was talking about this concept of walking with God. And I remember saying that, you know, when you walk, you walk with a purpose. You know, so I just um, shared the first time. I remember, I don't know why this came to my mind, because I probably saw it like 30 years ago. But um, there, anyone ever hear this stupid, silly show called Monty Python's Flying Circus? Well, for some reason, this skit came into my head, and it was about this, um, they had a race for people with no sense of direction. And they all lined up at the line, they shot the signal, and all the people just started running all these different places. And nobody was running towards the finish line. It was just stupid. But, you see, when we walk with God, what we're doing is, we know where we're going. We have our eyes set upon Jesus Christ, and we're walking that way. 
But you see, when we do that in the Christian life, there are so many things. It's called sin and temptation that wants to pull us from side to side. And what we need to do, just like Peter, when he stepped out in the boat, he took his eyes off of Christ and he started to sink. We need to keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ. And we need to learn daily to walk with God. You notice he didn't call it a sprint. He said, he walked with me. You see, too many people, they get onto some, like a spiritual high. They go on a retreat. They go on something, and, and all of a sudden, for three months, man, they're on fire for the Lord. And then in month four, we're just, hey, whatever happened to Jack? What, you know, oh, well, he, da, 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 and he wanders away. And you see, maybe three, three years later, he comes back again. And he's on fire for two months, and then he wanders away again. You see, that's not walking with the Lord. When he talks about walking with the Lord, there's a consistency to the lifestyle of living as a disciple of Jesus Christ with your eyes upon the Lord. Now, as we go through, there's um, the second qualification I want to give us. One is we already just saw that you love God above all else. The second major qualification I want to give you is that a disciple faithfully teaches the Word of God. Now, teaching can happen in all contexts. I'm up here preaching today. That's one. You might sit there and think, well, I'm never going to go up and preach. I know that. Well, maybe you might teach in one of our adult classrooms. Maybe, if you're faithful from my little announcement from a minute ago, maybe you'll be teaching downstairs in the children's classrooms. Or maybe you're teaching in the youth group. Or, this is what I love, maybe it's just a matter of you with a friend or a coworker who just, the opportunity comes there, comes open, and you take the Word of God, and you just open it up and you point Scripture out to them. You see, all of us, all disciples are called upon to teach the Word of God. Now, in verse 6, he mentions here, true instruction was in his mouth. You see, a, a point, a sub-point we can make for this is we need to be teaching biblical truth. And as the faithful priest, he mentioned here, of the tribe of Levi, true instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. You see, the failing of so many churches is they get away from the Word of God. And I want to just encourage you, if we as a church ever wander away from teaching biblical truth, it's time for you to wander away from Bible Fellowship Church and find a new church home. Because when you go around the world today, and I see, like, you can listen to it on the radio, podcasts, and conferences, or just visiting other churches, so many churches will open up the Bible, they'll read a verse, They'll go for 30 minutes, and they'll never go back to the Word of God. They just go off on tangents. Other times you can see people just go into the pulpit. They'll teach for about 25 minutes. They'll never open up the Word of God. The very end of the message, they read a verse, and that's the end of the sermon. Or, sadly, there are churches that never even open up the Word of God. And the person will stand up there for 20, 30, 40 minutes and just share whatever he wants or she wants to say. And that is not teaching biblical truth. Because what ends up happening when you do that, you're now taking yourself as a spiritual leader and making yourself the authority and not God. But when we teach through God's Word, now what we're saying is, hey, this is what God says. This is the truth of God's Word. And what you want to do with it is really between you and God. We just need to be, and this is my next sub-point, messengers of the Lord. God's called all of us to be His voice to this generation. And we need to remember that we are His messenger 
for this generation as well. Look at verse 7. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge. Remember, what's not, true knowledge is, is the word of God. And men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You know, God was not surprised by the lack of biblical teaching today. Matter of fact, you know what? God even predicted it, and it was prophesied through Amos in Amos chapter 11, chapter 8, verse 11. It says here, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. You see, God knew that there was going to come a time when people no longer wanted to hear God's word, but they wanted to listen to anything else that was said. And our job as faithful disciples is to be teaching people the word of the Lord. In our generation today, if we don't do it, who is? You see, God's called you, whether it's with that neighbor or family member, a children's ministries classroom, or whatever setting it is, a small group in your home, God is calling on you to be a faithful messenger of the Lord of the Lord himself. Now as we move on, there's one other admonition I'd like to give you related to teaching. And it's found in verse 9. Look at verse 9. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. A faithful disciple will teach without showing any, impart- any partiality. You see, think about it. People want, some of the teachers want to get up and they want to teach what the people want to hear. Well, what God wants us to do is God wants us to teach what he put here in this book. And it will come with a cost sometimes to teach God's word truthfully. Let me give back to just an example, just like in about the 1930s in in pre-World War II Germany, there was a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, if you remember what happened there, Hitler and the Nazi party took over the German church, the state church of Germany. And they started to dictate what could and could not be said within those churches. And they started feeding the churches German propaganda. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others took a stand. (coughs) And they refused to compromise on the word of God. And they insisted on teaching the truth of God's word. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested by the Nazi party and he was eventually killed because of his commitment to God's Word. You see, it might cost us something today. You know what, by you opening up God's Word, I'm going to grab a drink real quick. <coughs> by you opening up God's Word, it may cost you a friendship. You may have to tell someone something that they don't want to hear. Sorry about that. But we as faithful disciples need to be willing to speak the truth of God's word in whatever context that we're in. How many churches refuse to speak the truth to someone because they happen to be a big giver to the church? How many people don't want to offend a particular group of people? Maybe it comes to the topic of homosexuality in the Bible and churches will skirt the issue because they're afraid of offending certain people. You see, God wants us to be a messenger of truth today. The third category major qualification I'd like to give you on our job description is this. A disciple shepherds others to live for Christ. A disciple will shepherd other people so that he points them to Jesus Christ. 
In verse 6, and this is what he said about true instruction. This is about the, the priest that he was commending. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in, pre- in peace and uprightness, and he turned back many from iniquity. You see, God wants us to be turning other people away from their sins. And too many times as disciples, we're afraid to do that. I'll give you a, just a little illustration. This is kind of pertinent for us because we just went through our advancing the gospel. We're trying to raise the money to expand the building. And we did a little teaching on what it means for us to uh, be good stewards of God's resources. We touched on tithing. And I um, thought this was a funny story. Um, I kind of was one of those things as a pastor when I read it. I'm thinking, you know what? I never would have been that quick as that pastor and how he responded. Um, Peter Marshall. I don't know if you ever heard of Peter Marshall. He was a famous chaplain of the United States Senate probably about 50 years ago is when his ministry was strong. He was also a pastor. And he was preaching one Sunday morning. And after the sermon, this guy came up to him. He knew it happened to be one of the wealthier men in the congregation. And the guy walks up and he says, says, Pastor, I have a problem. He said, I have been tithing for some time. And it wasn't too hard when he said, you know, when I was making $20,000 a year, I found that I could easily afford to give $2,000 a year to the church. But he said, now I'm making $500,000 a year, and I can't afford to give $50,000 a year back to God. And Peter Marshall just was quiet for a moment. He reflected. He just looked at the man. He said, sir, he said, you do have a problem. He said, how about if we pray about it? And the man said, oh, that'd be great. So Peter Marshall bowed his head. And he just said to him, he said, Lord, he said, this man has a problem, and I pray that you will help him. Lord, reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford to tithe. Now, was not what the man wanted to hear. But you know what? It was the truth that God needed to be able to speak into this man's life. And so many times we're afraid to say what needs to be said. Because we're, we're putting pleasing people ahead of pleasing the Lord. Verse 7 talks a little bit as well about shepherding others. And it says, For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. Again, for he is the messenger of the Lord. You notice who it is that people seek out for instruction. It was the faithful priests in the Levitical line that were being sought out. And how about today? Who do people tend to come to for help? And to us, when people come to us for help, it's one of the prime times when we can speak the Word of God into their lives. But people tend to go to people that they know love them. They tend to go to people who they know that they can trust. And they tend to go to people who they know are going to speak the truth in love. See, when people are down and out, they want to know that you care. They want to know that you love them. And they want to know that you're someone that they can trust. And as we start to live our lives like that, it opens up the door of opportunity for us as disciples of Jesus Christ to be able to speak the truth of God into their lives. As we started out, I mentioned that this morning that we just kind of framed a job description. I gave you early on the purpose statement, and I walked through some of the major qualifications. But I want to just turn us back around to that first qualification And as that is, a faithful disciple loves God above all else. I want to challenge us as a church family that we need to be the kind of individuals that are loving God above all else. 
It's funny, after the first service, I was standing back in the lobby and got into conversations with a number of people. And two people came up to me and thanked me for speaking certain things. And both things they thanked me about were not in my sermon. But it's what they heard. And one of them was convicted about something that was in his life. And the more I thought about him, he was saying, you know what, I have this thing in my life, and I'm holding it above God. And I think all of us probably have something in our lives that we're holding above God. And I want to encourage us to think what it is. What is it that you are loving more than you are loving God himself? And be willing to let go of it. And as we wrap up this morning, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. And I want to encourage all of us to say, what is it that's keeping me from loving God above anything else that's, that's around me, that's in my life? And as we do that, we start to then minister to other people. Our prayer lives start to grow, and all of that flows out of who we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ, because we're loving Him above anything else. Let's pray. Lord, help us. As we go through this life, there's so many things, Father, that can draw our attention. There's so many temptations. There's so many things, Lord, that are easy for us to fall into. Lord, we start seeking satisfaction and our self-worth and things other than Jesus Christ. Help us as Peter, Lord, as he got out of that boat, he had his eyes upon you and he walked on water. And Lord, as he took his eyes off of you, Father, he started to sink. And Lord, we take our eyes off of you so often. Lord, some of the things that we seek after other than you are really good things. They could be relationships. They could be our children. They could be our ministry at the church. But Father, anything that we hold more dearly than we hold you is a distraction. And Lord, it's something that's going to cause our, our faithful walk with you to be hindered. Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes upon you. Help us to grow in our love for you daily. And Lord, help us to be the kind of faithful disciples that you want us to be. Father, we take to heart the words of Malachi. We saw what happened to the priests of his generation as they started to seek after their own, their own glory rather than yours. Father, may that never be true of us. And help us to stay faithful to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.